Ben Weaver to come up. Um, as we talked a little while ago before we started our 40 days in the Word emphasis, and, and I was excited to hear some of the things she said about her experiences in Bible study and with the group that she does on Thursday. So she's going to give a testimony about some ways God has used that in her life.
with the work and with, with our families and with our stresses and strains. So those are things that really spoke to me. There's a lot more that I, I got out of this book, and I've gone on to do a lot more studies. And I, and, but it's not about me. It's not about what I thought. It's about what each one of you want to do. And it's about each one of us can do together. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I know that I'm the kind of person that loves to sit in a group and talk about things and, you know, share with other people. But I know that some of you may not like that. You may, that may be really hard for you, and it may be real difficult. It doesn't mean you can't get one of these 40 days of uh, in the Word books and do it yourself. Find time with yourself in the room, because that's okay, too. Who knows which one of us just held the answer and just where the answer. And if that's being in the group, by all means. But if it's not, that's okay, too. Because I know folks like that. And in our Thursday night group, we, we like to do it as a big group, the ladies group. We don't usually do the small group study thing, like individual things where you break up into a smaller group and it's already a small group. But, you know, this week we did, and the ladies loved it. They just took time and just picked the Bible verse that we were going through. And um, we all just had something wonderful to share with each other. So I just hope that if you've never done a Bible study like this before, to take a minute and try it. And I know Pastor Fells has more books. If you haven't plugged in and started it already, it's not too late. Never too late. Because you start our day with the Bible and God's Word in our hearts. It's a wonderful way to start. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. That's where we want to spend a couple minutes this morning because this is, is 
really some of the things we've just sung, but it, but it helps us understand what it means that God, through His Holy Spirit, illumines our heart through His Word. Uh, Paul, writing in the first chapter to the, to the church at Ephesus, says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what does it mean, the eyes of your heart? If we were to, to look in your chest and pull out that, I suppose, but nonetheless, would you find eyeballs on it? Probably not. What does that mean? Well, well I would suggest to you it kind of is a reminder to us that in addition to being physical creatures, we are also spiritual creatures. And whether we want to admit it or believe it or not, the spiritual is more important than the physical. Put another way, that the realm that we cannot see, the spiritual realm, is actually more powerful than the realm which we can see. The idea of eyes and ears and and nose and mouth and feeling, all those senses physically that our body has that we experience the world with, we understand those. In fact, anything that, that you do physically really depends on the five senses. Well, what happens is when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are born spiritually. And you get these spiritual senses. For instance, you can read in the Bible and it says something like this. He who has ears to hear. Now, what does that mean? I'm looking around. I see a lot of ears. Some of us a little bigger than others. It's a family thing. Just leave it at that. Um, we all have ears, but why would the Bible say that? I mean, human beings normally, outside of maybe some problems that have happened or injuries or some, some different things and, and birth defects. You, you have an ear. What does it mean he who has ears? It doesn't mean physically do you have ears. It means spiritually do you have the ability to hear and comprehend what God is trying to reveal. That's what's at issue there. He has ears to hear, not physically but spiritually. And even here when it says open the eyes of my heart, it doesn't mean opening the physical eyes that are in my head so I can see the letters on the page and see the words on the page. No, it means the spiritual eyes that I have, the ones that that go to the heart of who I am, the real spiritual reality of what I am, that those be open, that I hear or see and understand spiritually what's at issue. So, So that's what Paul prays. The eyes of your heart may be open. And then they may open that you may be enlightened. The Greek word there is is the Greek word, let me get it right, it has a photo in it. So, so dizzo, obviously we get our idea, photoshop. Now have you noticed that when you go for a professional portrait, lighting is important? And have you also noticed that usually if you're taking a picture, you don't necessarily want super amazingly, hugely bright light focused right on your face. Have you noticed that most people look better by themselves? I said most. Not all. Why is that? There's a little bit less light. Kind of the shadows and the shading and the kind of blue 
silver and rough as cedar stand But what happens in this word enlightened is that we want God to shine his the bright light that he has onto scripture so that the eyes of our heart can understand. I mean if, if you're in a room and you're trying to read, you really want some bright light. You don't want it dim. That's that's hard to, to see. Or if you're maybe doing some delicate work, depending on what you might do for a living, you might really want some bright light to shine. When you're in the operating room, you don't want candlelight, right? No, no, you want those operating lights. You want them to see exactly what's going on there. And that's, that's what we, we learned last week, that the Word of God is like a scaffold. It finely and well cuts in and separates and judges so we want the light of the Holy Spirit to be bright onto our lives and onto that place to make it make sense for us. Now, now why is that important? Well, I want to use four events in Scripture, four accounts in Scripture to help us understand how God can illumine our minds, how the Holy Spirit works to help us deal with the realities we all face. The first one, we're going to go way back to the book of Genesis. And, and see particularly, we're going to be in Genesis 21. If you want to turn there, I'm just going to, the, the verse we'll use will pop up on the screen. But, but it, these, these stories may be rather familiar to you. They're not obscure necessarily. There's one part of them that I think helps us understand this idea of the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis chapter 21, what's the issue? Not yet. Don't give them the punchline. In Genesis chapter 21, we get to the point where, well, basically Abraham has to make a tough decision. You see, up to this point, God had made this amazing promise to Abraham. He said, you're going to be the father of, of just this great multitude. Through you and your offspring, I'm going to bless everybody that will ever live, all the world. And if you're familiar with Abraham's story, you know his wife, Sarah, unfortunately, is unable to conceive. And this goes on and on, and there's kind of at a loss. What are we going to do? How can we have this great uh, inheritance, this great family that's whose descendants as numerous as the stars or as numerous as the sand on the seashore? And Sarah comes up with a great idea. Famous last word. She says, Abraham, look, I have a, a maidservant, Hagar. Why don't you see if you can fulfill God's promise and, and have a child with her? And Abraham, being a man, goes, Fine by me, whatever. Maybe not exactly like that, but he agrees. He has a child by Hagar, one that you may have heard of, named Ishmael. Well, God says to Abraham in so many words, that's not really my plan. That wasn't the way this was supposed to happen. Now that's your child, and I'm going to make out of Ishmael a great nation, but that's not the one that will be the one that will start what I'm up to. And so sometime later, Sarah, who had been barren until she's 90 years old, becomes pregnant. Just get that excitement. 90. I'm going to have a baby. And all God's people say, no, that's, oh, no. Oh, no. Not amen there. There we go. 90 years old, has a baby. Here comes Isaac, the son of promise. Right? As things happen, there's a little tension between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, to the point of 
Well, it comes down to Abraham decides he's going to have to send Hagar and Ishmael away. He actually gets some things together in Genesis 21 and, and gives her some supplies, canteen of water and that sort of thing. He sends her off into the wilderness. Wow, man, that's crazy. Well, Hagar and Ishmael leave, and as they're out there, they run out of supplies, their water's gone, and Scripture tells us that Hagar is certain they're going to die. They went into the desert, after all. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. They go into the desert. It's not going well, and, and the Bible says that Hagar puts Ishmael down and goes a distance away because she can't bear to actually watch her son die. Bear to see that happen. Of course, baby, crying, not happy, he's upset, calling out, all that sort of thing. And and finally, um, God says to her, an angel of God calls and says to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So God has made that promise, he's going to do it. In fact, we think the, the whole Arabic nations come as descendants of Ishmael, Israel from Isaac. And in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 21, this is what Scripture says. It says, Then God did what? Opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy drink. Now, it doesn't say God miraculously made a well show up. It says God just allowed her, opened her eyes, the solution to her problem that was there that she couldn't see because of her emotion, because of her stress. I'm going to say to you, God can do the same thing in your life. You probably have some stresses. Anybody here have any stresses? Anyone? Anyone at all? Okay, good. Got some stress. Financial, relational, job issues, in the home, relationship between husbands and wives or parents and kids. Got some stress. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to fix it. It just seems like this situation is hopeless. That's how Hagar felt. This is hopeless. Not going anywhere. It doesn't matter that God promised out of Ishmael he'll make a great nation. None of that matters. It wasn't until God opened her eyes, the Holy Spirit illumined to her the realities around her, that she was able to see the solution and things changed. It's the same thing for you. If you try to figure it out on your own, because we're good at that, we think we know some things, we've learned some things, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. All of those efforts ultimately can fail apart from God doing what only He can do through His Holy Spirit. And that's opening your eyes to what's there. That's why we, we read in Scripture. I, I believe in Scripture there are the answers to all the problems you face. Now, it may not be specific. It may not be, you know, Hezekiah chapter 4, verse 13 says, go unto her and tell her she's a jerk and walk away. No, that one's not, not it. We don't get that specific of answers. And, and Hezekiah is not in the Bible, so that's why I'm not saying that. But, uh, you know, it's not there. Hezekiah the king is in the Bible, but the book, some of the poems aren't there. I believe what the principles in the Scripture apply to the things that you need. But it's only as you seek God and ask for Him through His Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the solutions that He has because you're not going to do things that you'll always see on your own. So sometimes we pray God illumines and helps us see the solution to our problem. Other times, maybe we've got a, a situation where we're trying to move forward. Anybody ever felt stuck? 
like you try to make progress. You want to, you think you, you, you have some goals, you think you have some direction you want to pursue, but it seems like everywhere you turn, you run into a barrier. Believe it or not, it's a story that's raised up by the scripture. They kept running into barriers until God came, and guess what God did? Opened his eyes to see. It's one of my favorite stories. It's in Numbers chapter 22. Now, when you think of Numbers in the Old Testament, you often think of the get. The get. The get. And there were this many people. It's called Numbers for a reason. There were a lot of numbers in there. It talks about different descendants and different tribes and how many there are. And it can get rather tedious. But in the middle of that book, there's the story of Balaam. Now, Balaam is a prophet of God. Supposed to speak for God. He's supposed to be the one that goes out and delivers the message for God. But but he kind of gets tripped up in this situation, and he's going to do an assignment that would actually be the opposite of what God wants him to do. And as Balaam is on his way to do this assignment, he's got along his trusty steed, donkey. There's another word for it. You can use it however you want. Not bad. That's what he's got. He's going. He's got his donkey. And as they're going down the road, Scripture says that in the road is an angel of the Lord with a sword. Balaam, he doesn't see the angel. Guess who sees the angel? The donkey. The donkey. I believe that's the same expression. That's correct. Nonetheless. Donkey. No, not exactly. The donkey sees the angel, and the donkey bolts off the road into a field. Balaam is upset. He gets off the donkey, beats the donkey, not a good analogy at a moment, but nonetheless beats the donkey, puts him back on the road, and heads on down. Well, a little bit further down the road, the road's going between two, two vineyards on either side. It's a rather narrow space. And guess who's standing in the road again? Mr. Angel. Guess who doesn't see Mr. Angel? I know we have some Mr. Angels here. I better watch out. Um, the angel of the Lord is there. Guess who doesn't see the angel? Balaam, guess who does? Donkey. And Donkey wants to get by the angel. And he thinks he can squeeze by on one side. So he squeezes over one way and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Balaam, in typical good Christian fashion, gets off and beats the donkey again. Yells at him, does all that sort of thing. Gets back on, and on down the road we go. Scripture says a little bit further down the road, they come to a spot where you can't pass on either side, and there in the road is the angel of the Lord. And the donkey with Balaam on his back is coming, and he sees the angel, and this time the donkey just falls down. Not going any further, can't go left, can't go right, can't go around, just sits down. Balaam, in typical Balaam fashion, does what we've come to expect Balaam to do. Off, gets mad at the donkey, starts yelling, screaming, kicking, whatever. And then, verse 31, Numbers 22, 31 says this, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face down, just like the donkey does, okay? Nonetheless, I'm a fool donkey, doesn't it? And there he goes. Balaam thought, as he's moving forward, He takes it out on the donkey. You ever done that, by the way? 
ever been trying to make progress and you blame somebody? Maybe you blame your boss. Don't say very nice things about your boss. Maybe you blame your spouse. Carry on, yell, and all that sort of thing. It's your spouse. Maybe you blame this or blame that or blame this person. And all along, is it possible that it's God standing in the way so you don't want to go there? I'm trying to stop you. I'm trying to warn you. I just don't see it. And sometimes when things block our path, we being stubborn humans just keep wanting want to keep pressing on. We just want to keep going after it. You know, just, just push and push and push. And sometimes we need donkeys to see what we can't see. And we need the illumination of God to show us what's really happening. But we need our eyes open so we can see and see. We need the illumination of those things. That's why it's so important. Sometimes it shows you the solution to your problems right in front of you. Sometimes it shows you what's blocking your way is actually God and going to put you back on the right path. And sometimes, though, maybe it's not the stress of the situation or, or this, uh, this uh, barrier in front of it. Sometimes we just feel attacked. It seems like everywhere we look, something or someone is coming against us. Nothing's working out. There was a story in, in the Old Testament as well, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to look at this story that maybe you're familiar with about the prophet Elisha. Elisha, great story. He's the prophet of God to Israel, and Israel's coming up against the Arameans. And as they're battling over the course of history, uh, the nation of Aram is getting ticked off because Elisha has the revelation of God to tell him the exact tactics the enemies of Israel are going to take in the battle, and so they're always ready. They're like two steps ahead of their enemies. Aram begins to think, we've got a traitor. We've got somebody in our army or one of our officials. And they interview them all until somebody says, hey, it's not us. It's Elisha, the prophet of God, that's the problem. And so the king decides, we've got to find out where he is. And they find him in Alabama. He says it right there. He's in Dothan. I was as shocked as you. No, obviously it's not Alabama. Dothan is where, where Elisha is. And when they find out he's there, the whole army comes and surrounds uh, the place where Elisha is. And Elisha's servant, Gehazi, gets up the next morning and goes outside. I guess he, he got his morning coffee and went for a stretch or a walk. And as he walks out the door, he looks around. And all around him is the, the enemy army. And he, as a good servant of the prophet of God, does what all of us do and circumstances are against us, he panics, freaks out, runs inside, wakes the prophet, and Elijah, Elijah, get up, get up, you won't believe what's happening, come on, you got to see this. And Elijah, in typical prophet of God fashion, probably yawns leisurely and says, what is it this time? The, the enemies are all around us, they're surrounded, and what does he pray? Well, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then Here's our phrase. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as he looked and he saw the enemy, he was certain it was, it was an impossible situation. But when his eyes opened, he saw they weren't in that battle alone. They were, in fact, not outnumbered, but were surrounded by an overwhelming force that was going to protect them. So you know when you're 
we're in this kind of bad spot. When, you're, when you feel like there's so much that's lining up against you, the, the, the verse in Luke says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And here's a, a tangible thing that Jesus saw that that was the case. In fact, the story goes on. It's actually quite a fascinating story. Um, Elijah prays. The, the, the army around them is blinded. And Elisha himself goes out to the army and says, hey, guys, what are you here for? here for Elisha. Oh, no, Elisha's not here. This is Elisha talking to the army. He's not here. Let me show you where he is. Follow me. And off they go. And he marches them to Samaria. What's in Samaria, you ask? Just the Israelite army. He marches them into Samaria, and their eyes are open. Now they're not blind anymore, and they're surrounded by the Israelite army. And the, the Israelite army says, let's kill him. And Elisha says, no. Don't kill him. Give him some beef and send him home. That's what the military says, right? I guess. That's what he says. And actually, it says that after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. And I think I would too. Why? Because the eyes of Elisha, namely his servant, I should say more particularly, were open to see that whatever the battle was, However outnumbered or overwhelmed or oppressed they felt, that wasn't the reality. The he who is for us is greater than he who is against us. He who is in us is greater than whatever is out there. Good things to know. But that only comes through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You don't see that naturally. That's your own devices, the eyes in your head. You just see the panic. You see the, the, the problem and not what God is up to. One last story to talk about this morning is in the New Testament, Luke chapter 24. It's, it's right after the resurrection. It's about those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Fascinating thing in the first century. We know over a very short period of time, about three or four days, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, beaten, crucified, put in a tomb, and then on Easter morning, you know, the tomb is empty. The, the, the women go and see, and they go back and tell the disciples, and they see. And I would love to tell you, they were like, oh, he is risen. But there was still a little, I think, confusion around some of the disciples. And we see that here on the road to Emmaus, because these disciples on the road are joined by Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus. And they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening these last few days? And that's a good thing. By the way, did you know, within 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, over 100,000 Christians were in this room today. Is that a lot? Because Jesus was dead, and then he wasn't, and people saw him. Eyewitnesses. There was actually a tomb that they could go to, and it was empty. He appeared to different disciples at one point to, to several hundred at once. So the overwhelming evidence was this Jesus is alive. And over 100,000 disciples in the first 20 years just couldn't refute you know, those eyewitness accounts and the reality that was around them. I mean, we, we think a couple of thousand years later with our scientific minds and what we understand, we're so much smarter than people who 
saw with their own eyes in the reality of the resurrection. But nonetheless, right after that, there wasn't that certainty. There was still con- some confusion over what was going on. And so Jesus walks along the road to Emmaus with these disciples. And as he's walking with them, and as he's talking with them, he explains to them something very significant. He says, listen, you don't know why you're confused, because the Scriptures say that the Savior, the Messiah, is going to suffer these things. And it says, particularly if it started with Moses and the prophets, the Bible at that time, the Old Testament, Moses, the first five books, and then the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. And he explained to them in those verses, in those books, in those passages, all the prophecy, all the, the symbolism of Israel's history and Israel's festivals and feasts that pointed to him. You would think that must have been one amazing Bible study lesson. Can you imagine on that road getting that lesson from Jesus himself? But they still didn't get it. They get to, to where they're going, and it's getting late, and Jesus is going to take depart from them. He said, no, 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 it's getting late. Come and eat with us. And the scripture says he goes in and he eats with them. And then in the evening, he takes bread and he breaks it. Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not received the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, being born again, whatever phrase you'd like to use, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, this book will not make sense to you. Which brings us faith for those of us who are believers. Then it shouldn't surprise us that as we look at the world around us and we look at people who don't know Jesus, that they actually act like they don't know Jesus. That they actually say, well, that book is myth and fairy tale. That's what they believe apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know why God chose that, but I know that's what Scripture says about itself. They are, this book is foolishness. the biggest fools of all because we actually believe them. And what's the difference between just quiet guidance and just quiet What makes the difference is what this verse says. What the Spirit of God does when He's in our life. If you are not a believer, if you have never received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted Him, repented of your sins, and turned to Him in faith, and received salvation that He alone offers by His death and resurrection, no matter how much you read it or want to understand this book, apart from the work of God in your life, it will always be just going to be foolish. So today, we're going to give you a chance to just repent if you don't know Christ and turn to Him in faith and invite Him into your life so that when you go along those problems in your life, that you can pray that God will show you the solution like He did for Hagar. Or when you keep bumping into things and can't figure out why you're not making any progress, you can pray and God will show you that it's Him trying to redirect you instead of going down that path. Or, or when you're walking along and you feel all alone because there's enemies everywhere and there's attack after attack after attack, you can pray and God will open your eyes to the ones that are with you the fact, even more than those angels, which is pretty cool, he himself is Jesus. That comes when you come to know Christ. Now, last week's memory verse, I believe I recall, oh, it is still there. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open, I got it this time, open my eyes. Well, there you go. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. One of the things that, that Rick Lloyd and our, our video, our small group video, and, and other places encourage us is to make this your prayer. When you sit down before you open the Bible, before you sit, begin to read it, just pray that. God, I'm praying Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And invite His Holy Spirit to show you what you need to see. And then I'm going to make Ricky pray. This week's memory verse, so if I don't have this one, I'm going to have It's in James. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, Don't merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just pray, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. 
but determine ahead of time what you show me, God, I will do. I could talk for a while about this. Kind of do not merely listen to the word, that next phrase is what has to be spoken to you today. You're here today. We're glad. Listening to the word, reading it on the screen, maybe following along in your Bible or your your, your smartphone or tablet or however else you do it. Those are good things. Listen, but notice, don't merely listen. If all you do is listen or read, you have deceived yourself into thinking you've done something worthwhile when you're not. Don't merely listen. Do what is good. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, distinguished between two types of people, wise and foolish. Do you know what the wise did that the foolish also did? Listen to the words of Jesus. Both, the wise and the foolish children. He who hears these words of mine starts both sections. What's the difference between wisdom and foolishness? The wise put them into practice. The foolish did not put them into practice. Responsibility is to act on it, to do what it says. So let's say we're going to memorize these verses together for tonight. Remind us of that next exalted position in the world. It's not just an academic endeavor, it's not just exercise and discipline or devotion. We talked about last week. God gave us His Word that it might change us. Thank you that in Him and by Him we can come to understand through Your Word 
solutions to the things that, that are the problems in our life. We can see the barriers that we may be bumping against that, that might be leading us down the wrong path. We can see that no matter how oppressed or attacked we feel, that you are fighting for us. And more than that, Father, that you are with us every moment, right beside us, even in the most difficult times of life. So thank you for those assurances. Thank you for those promises. And today, Lord, if there's someone here who needs to know the salvation that you offer, the life that you give, may today be the day they turn to you in faith, repenting of sins and inviting you to be Lord and Savior of their life. And we give you now these moments, this time of reflection, in Jesus' name.